Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And um, uh, Pastor uh, spoke with me this morning, asked if I could be ready. And immediately the Lord put this on my heart. I had been looking at this, um, these notes um, not too long ago. And I told my wife I, uh, and family, I said, you know, I, I don't believe I've ever preached this but one time. And that was in the church in Arizona. And uh, I've, I've kind of just put the notes aside, but I've been looking at them again recently. And the Lord immediately put these on my, on my heart and, and spent some time looking at them. And hopefully this can be a help and blessing to us tonight. If I were going to give this a title, I would just title this Facing Ministry Challenges. Math, uh, John chapter 6, Facing Ministry Challenges. And uh, this is the feeding of the 5,000. And I don't know if we always look at this as a ministry challenge as much as we just kind of focus on the, the miracle that took place. But what I want us to look at really is that there was this tremendous challenge uh, in John chapter 6 and then look at from the scriptures the way that the way that the disciples wanted to approach the ministry challenge and how they voiced their opinions to Jesus and then what Jesus teaches us on how to face that challenge as well. So Matthew, or John rather, John chapter 6. And I want to read verses 5 through 14, if you'll follow along as I read and, and notice what the Bible says. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him. In other words, to kind of put him to the test, to know what it was he was going to say. And uh, obviously Jesus knows the answer. He's trying to see what Philip's response is. For he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus isn't looking for input because he doesn't know how to handle this. He just wants to say, hey, what would you do in this place? I think that's really important too because I think you and I should put ourselves in Philip's shoes and ask ourselves, what would I do? And we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, as we go further into this. And Philip answered him, uh, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. When one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here. And by the way, Andrew is, is, a, is, is, is he's one of these guys that doesn't get a lot of attention in Scripture, but I think we should pay attention to him. He's the guy who's constantly bringing people to Jesus. He's clearly the sole winner in the group. And uh, he's got this little boy, and he brings him over to Jesus. And uh, he says, here's this lad, which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Jesus said, make them to sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in a number, about 5,000. And so 5,000, we always call this the feeding of the 5,000. It's five, feeding more accurately the feeding of the 5,000 men. There's women and children beside. A conservative estimate would put this at about 15,000 people. Uh, a good Jewish family would have at least one child. Now, we don't know if every man has his wife there and so on and so forth. Um, but, it, you know, we know this. It's north of 5,000, possibly 15,000, maybe more. Uh, you say 15,000? Jesus feed uh, 500,000. He can do what he wants, right? 
And so it, it doesn't make the miracle, in my mind, any greater or lesser when we put that number on it. But uh, certainly it is more than 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to, to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And by the way, I'm not going to preach on this, but I would like to take the time. Verse 11 is such an interesting verse. Notice who ate. Not everybody who was there apparently were served. Those who sat down. And by the way, it took some faith to sit down because think this through. This is free. Just give me 30 seconds on this, okay? There's 5,000 plus people around. Picture yourself over at the Howington Fair. Way less than 5,000 people. Word gets out. There's only two hot dogs left. There's only two hot dogs and one batch of onion rings. But if you sit down, you get to eat. Are you going to sit down or are you going to run towards the food? I'm going to be throwing elbows to get to the food. But Jesus said, tell them to sit down. The people who trusted what he had to say sat down, and they're the ones who eat. And there's a great lesson in that all by itself, I think, uh, maybe for another time. Uh, verse number 12, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. And by the way, what happened to those fragments? I know that you'll hear a lot of people say, well, there's 12, 12 disciples, so each disciple got some. Bottom line is we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Here's my two cents worth. I think they went back to the boy that gave. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken over. And so men give into your bosom. Give and it shall be given. I think it's more biblical approach to say, this little boy learned I can't outgive God. And he went back with, you know, can you imagine? He goes back home and he's got all this food. And his mom says, where in the world did you get that? What a story that is for him. Uh, and that's another lesson. That's where we're heading on this. Sorry. Um, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that's come into the world. Father, bless our time together. Speak to our hearts and uh, help us to learn tonight and help us to understand that, that, uh, that ministry day to day, day in and day out of meeting the needs of people, of bringing them to a place where they can meet Jesus and understand, as these did in this text, that this is of a truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not always easy. In fact, seldom it is easy. Seldom it's without challenges. And help us to learn tonight how to meet ministry challenges from our Savior, the Lord Jesus, as we consider His approach, but then also the men that are in this text as well and how they would approach this. And so bless the time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's hard for me to imagine that I've actually been doing this for over 25 years now, but I've got a pin on my lapel that proves I have. And, and you know, they gave me one at BIMI not too long ago, and it's actually been a little bit longer than that. And, and uh, one thing I've, I've learned in that span of time, and, and Pastor's been doing it much longer than I, um, and I'm thankful that he was the one who kind of took me under his wing and helped me in those early days. But uh, I've learned something. Ministry is seldom without challenges. There's seldom a day that passes when there's not something that comes up. 
In fact, I, I shared with Pastor, I came running in here last minute uh, this evening, right before service. He said I made him nervous. We were over in Bristol, and my plan today was I was going to, I'm laying some flooring for Paula's parents, and, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. And then I got some texts, and then I got some phone calls, and then I got one phone call that was an hour and a half long, and it was ministry stuff. And, you know, these things come up, and you can't just go, hey, I'm laying floors, sorry, call back. Um, and so I've learned that, that ministry challenges pop up very often. And not every challenge that is presented to us in ministry seems to be impossible, uh, but a lot of them do. And I, I think back to the days of this building, Pastor, and I'm sure there were days when you were not the only person who thought, it's impossible. It's impossible to build that building, 16,000 square feet on that, on that hill, and have it rain every single day. And I mean, we should have been building an ark and not a building. And, you know, I mean, just you look at those things and understand that, that, that there are some things that you face in ministry. And I think this is one in the text. And, and I do think that, you know, obviously this building, this property, this is bigger than any one person. This is bigger than Harvest Baptist Church. God did this. And, and, and you look at, at, at what is happening here, 5,000. What do you do with 5,000 men that need to eat and women and children beside? It's a ministry challenge that's really, by human standards, impossible. So what do you do? As I look at the text and as I consider comparing this text with the other gospel accounts of this event... I think that there's four responses, at least four that we can learn from and see what kind of were the responses. And the first response, I think, is absolutely the worst response, by the way. Uh, but I think it may be the most common sometimes. And, and that is, if you were to compare John chapter 6 with Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 14, feeding of the 5,000 men, women and children beside, I think the first, the first one is this. The, 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 from a human standpoint, the disciples look at this and they basically say, get rid of it. Make it go away. Remove the problem. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 through 36. I'm not going to read it all for sake of time, but you can write it down as a cross-reference. But the bottom line is this, that, that Jesus is, is teaching and preaching. The disciples understand, hey, it's getting late in the day. These people haven't eaten. They're hungry. And in verse 36, the disciples come and they say to Jesus, send them away. Get rid of them. Remove the problem. Matthew 14, verse 14 and 15 same, same, uh, same account, just some different perspective. But again, this is what we would read in verse 15. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place. In other words, there's not a lot of food here, Jesus. There's no convenience stores. There's no restaurants. What are we going to do? They can't go fishing. There's no place to go hunting. Uh, they haven't brought their food. And the time has now passed. It's getting late. Send the multitudes away. That they may go to the villages and buy themselves victuals. So, so they're close enough to go to the villages seemingly, it seems like. That's why I say it took some faith for them to sit down. Because I'd want to be the first one to show up at those villages uh, and, and beat the crowds. But the first response is this. Get rid of the problem. And I think that's really human nature, right? Is just 
get rid of, make the problem go away. I don't want to deal with the problem, and the best solution will be just get rid of it somehow. But Jesus' response tells us this is not the best way to handle a ministry challenge, especially when it comes to meeting the needs of people. Because Jesus says in Matthew 14, verse 16, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And, you know, I, I, I've been in some places and I've seen some ministries where it seems like the goal is send them away. Get rid of them. Let me give you an example. Uh, ministering in, in Surprise, Arizona, we were, surrounded by, we were surrounded by retirement communities. And we had a lot of people who came. There were churches in those retirement communities. We had a lot of people who left those retirement communities and came to our church. And here's why. In their church, they were told, do not bring your grandchildren to our church. Flat out, do not bring them. We have nothing for them. We do not want them. They will mess up our building. Don't bring them here. Get rid of the problem. We have a nice building. We have nice facilities. We don't want to have to deal with cleaning up. You know, what's the proverb about the oxen and the crib clean and, and all of that? <laughs> but much increases by the, by the oxen. Um, I don't think it's the best way, but it is kind of human nature, is it not? And I think I'd like to apply this whole passage to kind of a, a, a missionary passage and make application if I can and, um, and help us understand some things. By the way, you can get rid of one ministry challenge, but coming right after it is another ministry challenge and coming right after it is another ministry challenge. And if all you ever do is try to get rid of the ministry challenges, guess what your ministry is? Getting rid of ministry challenges. That becomes your full-time job. And, and, and it's such a far cry from, from what Mark tells us. When Jesus looked at this crowd, the Bible says he was moved with compassion for them. And if we're going to be like Jesus, then we've got to be moved with, with compassion. And when we look at at the crowds and the multitudes and say, how do we reach them? It's not going to be get rid of them, push them away. It's going to be, let's welcome them in and find a way to minister to them. Let's find a way to meet their needs. And if you make this and, and kind of apply this in a missionary sense, then I think the challenge that we face is how do we get the bread of life to a lost and dying world? And I think a lot of times what happens is we decide to just ignore the world. Out of sight, out of mind. And churches are having less and less missions conferences, doing less and less with kind of missions emphasis and such. And there's a lot of reasons why that happens, but part of that is out of sight, out of mind. Get rid of the problem. Um, but Jesus says they need not depart. Give them to eat. How, how, are, how are you going to be prepared? Ask yourself this. How am I prepared to meet the ministry challenges of the people that I come into contact with? Even some of the most annoying people that you come into contact with. Get rid of them or find a way 
to help them to meet Jesus. So that's the first response. And I don't think it's the best response. In fact, I think it's the worst of all the responses. The second response is another very common response, I think, and yet not the best for sure. And this will be interesting because from a missionary perspective, this may seem unusual for you to hear me say this, but the second one is this. Uh, not let's get rid of it, but hey, let's raise some funds. Just let's make sure we get enough money. Go back to our text in John chapter 6 and verse 5. When Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great multitude come unto them, and he said unto Philip, when shall we buy? Now Jesus knew they weren't going to buy bread, right? He understood, because the Bible tells us very plainly, he knew what he would do. He always knew he was going to multiply the bread. And he saith unto Philip, he kind of almost sets him up here, doesn't he? When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And the order of the events kind of seems to be this. Jesus has been teaching the multitude for a good part of the day. Uh, it's now coming to the end of the day. It's past what you and I would probably call supper time. The time is past, according to Matthew. The disciples come and they say, hey, let's, let's get rid of them. Jesus says, no, that's not the way we're going to handle that. And he turns to Philip. And he says, hey, Philip, what's your plan? What do, you, what do you think? What should we do? And I think it's really interesting that Jesus asks Philip this question. He doesn't ask Judas, who is the treasurer, right? We know that. Judas is the guy who held the bag. He's the treasurer. So he doesn't go to the treasurer and say, hey, where are we going to get money to, to, to take care of this? Or where are we going to buy bread? And by the way, he didn't ask where are we going to get money. He asked where are we going to buy the bread? That's a very different question. God seldom worries. God never worries about money. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> um, we worry about the money. Hey, where are we going to get the money to buy the bread? That would be our question. Jesus says, where are we going to buy the bread? It, it, in, this, in the end, he knew he wasn't going to do this. But he doesn't ask the treasurer. He also doesn't ask Peter. And he doesn't ask James. And he doesn't ask John, the inner three, the kind of the, the big wigs, the leaders, if you will, in the ministry. He asked one of the lesser knowns, Philip, what would you do? And what that tells me is that God is telling you and I, Jesus is teaching you and I, every single Christian should be prepared to meet ministry challenges. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the deacons that have to meet. It's not just the trustees. Every Christian should be ready to meet ministry challenges. Jesus wants us all to be personally involved. And so I would say this, when Jesus asks and he says, Philip, what shall we do? Put your name there and say, what, what would I do? What would be my response? How would I meet this challenge? And I think too often we want to be involved in ministry until the challenge comes. And then we're like, well, that's what the pastor's for. That's what the deacons are for. That's what the trustees are for. They handle the problems. We do the fun ministry stuff. Now certainly there are going to be challenges in ministry that have to be handled by the leadership. That's obvious. God set up leadership for a reason. But the point I think that I want us to see is that, that Jesus wants everybody, not just 
the three, kind of inner three, the, the leaders, but everybody to be at least ready. And I don't think he's looking for uh, armchair quarterbacks either. You know, it's easy to, to kind of sit in the sideline and go, I wouldn't do it that way. And so he comes to Philip. He says, hey, what, what would you do? And if we make this a ministry, a missionary passage, and we kind of make that application, then it's so interesting. And check Philip's response. Philip answered him. He said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them to eat, that every one of them may take a little. Where did that number come up from? I don't, I don't even know. Where, where did that number come from? Like, he's not the treasurer. Does, had, had Judas just given the quarterly report? We got 200 in the, in the general fund. That would have been, and by the way, that would have been a lot of money in the general fund for Jesus and his followers because they were frequently, Jesus said, look, I don't even have a place to lay my head, right? So I don't, I don't know. I think really in Philip's mind, maybe he thinks, man, if we could raise 200 pennies, that would be a lot, right? Because that's 200 days wages, that would be a lot. Maybe that's all the faith that he had was he had faith for 200 uh, pennies. He said, but even that's not going to be enough. But the point is this. Really, if you look at what Philip's saying is, look at, we can't raise enough money to make this problem go away or to meet this problem. And, and here's a newsflash coming from a missionary who preaches a lot of missions conferences and spends a lot of time trying to raise funds for missions. Not every ministry challenge is a money challenge. Let me say it again. Not every ministry challenge is a money challenge. Not every challenge and problem in ministry is going to be solved by more money. Now the government thinks that's true. They think just throw more money at it and, and it'll get better. But that's not true. In fact, if we would just be very careful, we would understand this. Every ministry challenge, every, every ministry problem is a challenge and a problem of the heart. And money can't fix everything that's wrong with the heart. And, and so we've got to be careful and understand I remember when we were in Quebec, there was a missionary who was going through a really rough time, but it was of his own making. I'm going to be very vague, and you wouldn't know who I'm talking about anyways. I don't think there's any person in this room, including my wife, who would know whom I'm speaking about. But, but he was going through a rough time. His family was disintegrating because of bad choices he made. And another missionary called me, and he said, hey, listen, we're taking up an offering for the missionary going through the hard times, how much will you give? And I said, not a penny. And he said, what? I said, not a single cent. He gets nothing. He said, that's not very loving. I said, oh no, actually it is very loving. I said, I'm not going to fund his bad choices. I said, if you promise me that we're taking an offering for his family and we're writing the check to his wife's name exclusively and only she has access to it, write me down. I'll give. But if we're giving money to him, not a penny. 
Not a single cent. My missionary friend was not pleased with me. He didn't seem to understand that, but I'm, I'm convinced that that was the right decision. That you can't just throw money at things and make it get better. Want proof? Socialism is full-blown in, in, in Canada. It ain't working. We just went through, through Montreal. It's a completely different city that we used to be when we were there, when socialism wasn't so full-blown. And, and this time around, we were literally walking over people who lived on the sidewalks to get to our next destination. And the government's throwing money at them, but it's not fixing their problem. Why? Because it's a problem of the heart. Not money. money won't fix every problem of the heart. There's so much more I want to say there, but I can't. I'm going to run out of time. If we, make it a, if we make it a missionary issue, can I just say this? We are, while I said I, we're seeing less and less emphasis on missions in churches, what we are seeing is more and more giving. In fact, there's more missions dollars to be had right now than ever that anybody I've ever spoken to, including Dr. Sisk, who's 90 years old, can remember. And he knows a little bit about missions. And uh, he's been doing it for 60-something years, and uh, literally longer than I've been alive. And he'll tell me, Tony, there's more money than ever, but there's less people going. And, and I've been convinced that it's kind of like what happened when, when, uh, when uh, uh, in, in Esther, um, Mordecai hears that his people are slated for destruction, right? And he rents his clothes, and he's in mourning, and he's all worried about this. And Esther hears about it. And what's her first response? She sends him some clothes. She sends him some stuff. She sends him material goods. And what is, what is his response? What's Mordecai's response? I don't need your stuff. I need you. And the problem in missions today is... Not we need, we still are going to need money to send people, but we need you. We need more people. And we're going to need people who will say, you know what, it's not just money that they need, they need me to go. And, and then notice this one, i got to go move quickly. Uh, I think the third response is, is, we see it with Andrew, and it's kind of hard to really pick on Andrew, but, but I see this. I think Andrew's response is, if we just remain busy about the principal aspects of ministry, the problems will work themselves out. Verse 8 and 9, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, and what are they among so many? And I think Andrew's approach is simply this. I'm just going to keep bringing people to Jesus. I'm just going to keep introducing people to Jesus. And it's really hard to kind of be down on the guy who's the soul winner. And I'm not doing that. But what I am saying is that Andrew's kind of like, but what can this boy do? Well, he doesn't understand that what the boy has to offer is more than sufficient. Andrew at least knew he should be bringing people to meet Jesus. So, so it's kind of hard to kind of be down on him. He's clearly the sole winner in the group. You can read John chapter 1, verse 40 and 42 sometime. You remember it was Andrew who went and got Simon Peter and said, hey, look it, we found Jesus. It's, 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 it's Philip that the Greeks go to when they're trying to meet Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 20 through 22, they come to Philip. 
Why? I think because they understood Philip was the guy who wants to bring people to meet Jesus. And um, it's difficult to find fault with him, especially in that. But what I want us to understand is you can't just say, well, I'm just going to keep doing right and all the problems just take care of themselves. There's got to be a better plan than that. We understand this, right? You're driving down 202 and your low fuel light comes on and also your low oil light comes on at the same time. Pull into the gas station and you get gasoline so you can continue on your drive because you've got to have the gas in the tank, right? But you never address the oil. Well, you did right by getting gas, but you never addressed the oil problem. Guess what's going to happen? Sooner or later, the engine's going to freeze. It's going to seize up, right? You have to address all the problems. And you can't just say, well, I did right over here, so this one will take care of itself. That's a pretty simple illustration with a car, but it really is the same in ministry. And it's something I think that Jesus was trying to explain to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 and verse number 23. He said, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ye ought to have done and not leave the other undone. You can't just do right in this area and hope everything else is going to fall in place over here is what I'm saying. And, and by the way, um, it's good to remain busy about the, the principal aspects of ministry. You should never give up soul winning just because you got so many challenges uh, that, that you don't have time to go soul winning. Five times to go soul winning. But what I am saying is I think this approach very unintentionally disregards God and acts as, as if problems just solve themselves. Impossible ministry challenges don't just solve themselves. God has to get involved. Uh, I think also this unintentionally robs God of glory because it fails to look to Him for the solution. And, and as you look at this and you say, how does this apply to missions? Well, I think it applies this way. You could do a great job reaching your Samaria and ignore the rest of the world, your Jerusalem, and ignore the rest of the world, and that's not going to ever complete the Great Commission. We're, supposed to, we're tasked with reaching the whole world. And, and a lot of churches are great soul-winning churches, and they're doing a great job reaching their area of the world to the neglect of the rest of the world. Let me give you one last one, and this is Jesus' response, and I need to finish, and I'll just have to do it very, very quickly. Uh, a Jesus response, I think, is, is this. Guys, we need to rely wholly upon God. We need to rely wholly and uniquely upon God. And it's interesting that John, as he writes this passage, in verse 11 and in verse 23, uh, he says, the, John records that Jesus, while he's meeting this challenge, gives thanks. And we would probably do well to thank God at every ministry challenge rather than to complain about Him. And we would do well to thank God for what we do have rather than for, to complain about what we don't have. And, and when Jesus takes the time to thank His Heavenly Father, what He's doing is He's turning all the focus back to the Father. In effect, He's saying, hey, the way that this challenge gets met is we rely upon God. We rely upon the Father. 
And when he gives thanks, he's saying, hey, you know what, Father? You got this. <laughs> These guys don't have it. Jesus could have had it, but he's giving us an example. And he's saying, you've got this. And we can trust you in this. And as a missionary passage, I think what missionaries especially have to get in their mind is, and I learned this, thankfully, this was a lesson that the Lord taught me early on, was a lot of missionaries get upset about their supporting churches. Oh, my supporting church didn't send their support this month, or that church didn't support me, or this, that, or the other. And what you have to understand is, God, you've got this. You've got this. And we look at this and we say, wow, look what God did. And often we won't, we won't face a challenge head on because we think it's too big. Let's get rid of it. We can't raise enough funds. Whatever we have is so small and insignificant. 200 pennyworth isn't enough. Here's just five barley loaves. By the way, barley loaves were most often used to feed animals, not people. Two small fishes, not just two fishes, but two small fishes. But isn't that how God works? Hey, Moses, what's in your hand? That's just a rod. Throw it down. Let me show you what I can do with that, Moses. Israel, go to, go to Jericho. Make sure you bring your trumpets of ram's horns because the walls are coming down when you blow them. For Jael, Heber's wife, you remember her, right? She's got to win a victory over the Caesarean captain, host of the Canaanites. What do you got? Warm glass of milk and a tent steak. That's enough. For Gideon and his 300, what do you have? Oh, just some trumpets and lamps and a pitchers. Samson has to fight a thousand Philistines, a jawbone of a donkey. For David, it was a sling and five smooth stones. Here's the thing. It doesn't really matter what we have. God says, if you'll give it to me, whatever it is, how insignificant, no matter how insignificant, how small and seemingly unimportant, a jawbone, a warm glass of milk, a dead piece of wood, some trumpets. God says, give it to me. I've got this. It'll be enough. And what was impossible for us, we will soon understand, was never impossible for God. And what Jesus is teaching us is this. Listen, guys, there's going to be challenges. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And only God could meet this challenge. And you're not going to get rid of them all, and you're not going to raise enough funds for them all, and you're never going to be able to remain busy doing right about everything so that all the problems just go away. The only way to handle it is rely fully, wholly, and uniquely upon God. And say, God, you've got this. I don't understand it. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't have much. Whatever I have, you can have. Take it. And God says, I can use that. I can use that. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy.
As pastor comes now to close the service, have your will and way in the remainder of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.